This is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics and how it affects you. I am looking at the world's economics, trying to interpret them, and more importantly, wondering where they are going and what they are going to do to us in particular. So this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them, and occasionally my opinions. I want this to be an educational show for you, so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy it, and welcome. It is Sunday, March 14th, and this is the Economy Guy coming to you again from the south of France. The weather's beautiful. It's supposed to be a great day today. I can't wait to get out. There's no clouds at all. It's supposed to be one of the warmest days this year here. So uh, for those of you who uh, are calibrated to centigrade, it's going to be 18 degrees centigrade. Ooh, that's almost bathing weather. Oh, that's lovely. Okay, I've got five segments to give you today. I'm going to start with the tidbits. They're always fun and exciting. I'll cover the markets in segment two, the third segment. I'm going to tell you what I've learned over 10 years about the gold market, how it works. And I'm going to give you my own personal opinion because you can only talk about opinion when it comes to how the gold market works. I'll tell you how what I've learned over more than 10-year period. The fourth segment is uh, a segment going into depth. I, last week I talked about bad data. I'm going to talk about bad data specifically. I'm going to talk about inflation and bad data and give you real-life experience on what it is. I mean, could it be bad? Could, could the inflation number possibly be wrong? Uh, that's the kind of questions I'm going to answer, and then what does that mean for you and I? And the fifth segment, that's fourth segment, the fifth segment will then be a, the review of all of the uh, consequences that might cause the uh, stock market to tip over and go negative. And uh, yes, uh, you're right, it got worse uh, from last week. Uh, <clears throat> a little worse, kind of interesting. So, uh, having said that, what can I say about what's happening here in the south of France? Oh, yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> on Friday, I went to get a haircut. And I got on a bus to go to the uh, local town that's next to this town because that's my favorite haircut place. And uh, the bus took off and went somewhere else, and then the bus driver kicked everybody off. He actually took us to the uh, Antibes Gar uh, train station. And uh, so from there, I walked back to the bus stop where I got on. I said, oh, well, yeah, this guy was crazy, so I'll wait for the next bus. And guess what? No bus ever arrived again. I waited for a half hour on the bus stop. That's impossible. They come every five, 10 minutes. So. I then walked over. From there, I walked back to the tourist office and said, what's happening with the buses? And they said, they're on strike. They started this morning. It'll be over at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and they didn't tell anybody about it. So that was my exciting day for Friday. And it gives you a, uh, another look into the culture of France. Strikes are real in France. And they can happen at any time. I have no idea what the uh, uh, bus drivers were striking against, but I imagine it was pay. So I mean, that's the normal case, right? 
So, having said that, let's move on to our five segments. The first segment will be the tidbits. And on to segment number one. Let's talk about some of the tidbit news. Quick little news flashes here. Did you know that the uh, this uh, year, or last year, 2020, uh, the credit card balances of people in the United States was down 12% from previous years. Down 12%. So now, you see, that's, I consider that very good for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, I don't, generally, the if you have a balance on your card, you're paying interest to the credit card company, and that's just terrible because the interest rate is a usurious in my mind. It's awful. So having lower rates is great. I think every person out there should not have credit card debt. Just pay, if you have a credit card and you haven't ripped it up, at least pay it off every month. So uh, that's that's kind of a, a good thing. That's clearly caused by the COVID. And I imagine that's a permanent change. I imagine that's going to work its way into this year. And as people get those government checks, they uh, tend to pay off debt uh, or save. Those are the kind of reasons, things they do with it. Second story is that uh, stock purchase, the amount of stock being purchased, individual named stock in the United States before 2020 was roughly a billion dollars per week. Uh, per week, just every week, about a billion dollars worth of individual shares were purchased in the United States. <clears throat> Last year, in 2020, that number jumped from 1 billion to 4.7 billion. And this year, if you annualize it, it looks like the rate's gonna be 6.5 billion. So there's a major trend for people choosing individual stocks. Now again, that is probably very wise in my opinion, unless these are individuals rather than mutual funds, et cetera, pension funds, you name it, other people who buy stocks, which is also good too. But, why is that good? Well, because uh, everything I've read said that indexes, ETFs that have the indexes of stock, is not the way to go. You really have to pick and choose this coming year and into the future in order to get the return that you're looking for. So it's a lot harder market to be investing in. You just don't go with uh, the S&P 500 index. Okay, next story. The European Central Bank are buying bonds. That's called quantitative easing in the United States. But in Europe, they have a special name. It's called PEP, P-E-P-P. That's the name they gave it. This PEP, it's kind of a cute name for quantitative easing, isn't it? Anyway, they have their PEP program, and uh, they have put aside 1.85 trillion euros. Uh, it doesn't matter what the a number is. They, they put out a big number, so you're impressed. And they're going to use that money to buy bonds. Uh, in Europe and keep interest rates low because they don't like high interest rates because they have to pay interest. That's clear. Okay, uh, here's a good one. Fannie Mae. This is the housing market we're going to talk about. Uh, and this is an important one. It says that they are going to restrict the number of mortgages for second homes and vacation homes to 7% of their portfolio. That means they're going to put much tighter restrictions. And that's happening very quickly now. Five tighter restrictions on those mortgages. And that will result in an interest rate going up for second homes and, uh, and uh, vacation homes, uh, probably a half to three quarters of a percent higher than it was. So my advice to you, anyone who's considering that right now, is to uh, lock in your rate. If you're in the midst of 
negotiating a rate, lock it, man, because it could go up overnight if it, it hasn't been already. Okay, um, and last but not least, the Federal Reserve is printing money like nobody's business. This is a continuing program, just to remind you, of $120 billion a uh, month. That's uh, a lot of money at every single month. It's gonna, it says it's going to do that for the foreseeable future. It means multiple years. It may, and it naturally increases that when the uh, government, like it just did, spends a big multi-trillion dollar thing. Then it has to buy even more, of course. So uh, just remember all of that money, all those things that the Fed is buying are is brand new printed money. And if you have to want to talk about in creating inflation, that's where it starts. Okay, I'm done with section one. On to section two. And this is segment number two, the market cap recap. What happened last week? Well, let's talk about the Dow. It ended at 32,778. That it means the market is powering forward like a train coming down the track. That's what's happening. Now, markets go up and down and all around. Yeah, this is a uh, getting into the new high area. So, hey, it may just pause a while, but uh, it may just steam ahead. That's wonderful. Why? Who knows how long this will last? The 10-year uh, bond, the 10-year bond, one of the things we watch real closely, ended at the week at 1.635%. That's up from the previous week. It's one of the things we watch very closely. I'll be talking about that in the last segment and what the importance of that is. Oil, 65, kind of level, a little bit up, not much. The uh, VIX, that's the uh, fear index, uh, that is uh, low. It's in the 20s. Uh, so I, that's interesting. I, I take that as meaning that, uh, uh, hey, nobody's really nervous in the market. The market itself is not nervous. So it's not jiggling around real fast. That causes the VIX to go up. It's, so people are not scared. Um, interesting. That says the, in the, this is the storm before the calm. We were in the calm. So uh, we'll wait. There will be a storm sometime, but we never can tell when. Uh, On to the U.S. dollar. It went sideways. The dollar is still strong, but it did not change. It didn't go get stronger. Uh, and so it stayed the same as all, with all the exchange rates this last week. Gold uh, went up about 20 bucks, uh, maybe a little more, 25 bucks. It's ended the uh, week at 1727. It went up a lot. It came down, went up and down, went down and up and down. It wiggled all over the place, ended up a little bit. That was kind of good. And the uh, the high yield index is uh, just about the same, maybe down a little. We'll, again, we'll review that later. That's the end of the market wrap. And this is segment number three. This is my own personal notes on the gold market. How does it work? What's, what is the gold market? Why do gold prices go up and down? So uh, let's get into it. Uh, first of all, uh, Where does the gold price come from? Well, the traditional way is in London, a very person with a stiff upper lip says twice a day, there's a gold fix price twice a day. The gold price is... Uh, and uh, it doesn't mean anything because the gold price fixed in London and it's also fixed in uh, Chicago is uh, really driven by the futures market, so futures contracts. So what are futures contracts? That's what's driving the gold price up and down. Uh, well, let's start from the beginning. 
you have gold miners who are digging gold out of the ground and they want to sell it but maybe they need money so what they do is they sell a contract that in the future a futures contract they, they will deliver a, a quantity of gold a single contract incidentally is worth a hundred ounces of gold and they add on a certain date so 100 ounces in the future and uh, they sell it that the contract and uh, there's some a buyer out there that needs gold say a jewelry manufacturer for example well, might be a, or it might be a mint that's minting coins but they need uh, gold so they buy that contract so that they can fix their price they know what they're going to pay for that uh, and they will get the gold in six months or a year or whenever the date is on that contract and the miners get the money and they go ahead and uh, mine the thing, gold and everything everybody's happy that's classic but in order to make that market work between miners and buyers or sellers and buyers of the gold you need speculators to buy it to make the oil that makes the gears go round okay somebody walks in and says okay i'll buy that right now hoping that the gold price will go up and they'll sell it at a higher price okay that's kind of what speculators were doing initially and there's a lot more speculators in the uh and that's a major group of people in the futures market than there are miners and buyers so sellers and buyers is a real minority they're a almost infinitesimally small group of people the speculators are a much bigger group of people who are trying to make money out of this market they see an opportunity in the market and then came the big big players i call them the big gold banks stepped into the market and they have been they have been stepping into the market from the beginning they've been there forever the gold banks are there are just a select number of banks that call themselves the big gold banks like jp morgan is a good example of it incidentally does jp morgan have an ownership stake in the federal reserve i'll just add that little tidbit of information in there yes and does the uh government through the federal reserve have an interest in the gold market yes it does so could the government possibly have an interest in setting prices in the gold market yes it could so having said all that and just laying that interest in there the big uh, big gold banks there's the five six seven eight of these banks around the globe these are global banks uh, they write new futurist contracts a lot of them a lot of future contracts so that today there's more than 10 times futures contracts out there floating around in gold than there is deliverable gold get just wrap your mind around that for a second that means that they're flooding the future the futures market with paper and they can they're forcing this price up and down how are they forcing it up and down well they're first of all they're creating all this new paper and then they have there are incidentally options on futures contracts so they are puts and calls that you can buy and sell on uh, futures contracts and uh, that does this start to sound like GameStop to you it should so the big banks are forcing the uh, futures price price of future price of gold up and down using lots of techniques and uh, and they're making the uh, uh, speculators who are the other, second largest group of people run around and uh, chase it up and down who run but they're still willing to uh, take a gamble I mean consider the gold futures market like any futures market is very similar to going to Las Vegas uh, and so you have to uh, 
but maybe it's, you can be a little smarter in this one, and some people think they are. Uh, so uh, there's a natural tendency to think that the price is going to go up for lots of reasons, and it is over time, and it's allowed to do that, and uh, I think it'll do it again. Uh, so that's what really what's going on in the futures market. Um, you can measure the amount of uh, futures contracts that the big banks have or the speculators have called open interest. Uh, you can analyze it. People do that. They do make a, a very good analysis of what's going on and they can kind of tend when to see when the price is too high or the price is too low and it will the price will change in direction. And the banks tend to make a very good living out of this futures market. They're making hmm, tens, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars a year uh, in profit every year on manipulating the gold market. So I, after studying this market, and I have not given you all the in-depth information on it, but just to give you a taste of what's going on and the players involved, um, I ask myself, well, could this market ever break? How would it break? How could it possibly break? And I come up with a couple of solutions of how it could break. And so the things that I watch for, I mean, one is I, uh, if you are, I mean, one thing you might think of is, uh, oh, I'll buy a futures contract. I don't care if the bank wrote it. I'll just buy it. And I'll wait to the end and I'll demand that I get my 100 ounces of gold. I want the physical delivery because that's what a futures contract says. I will deliver 100 ounces of gold at a certain date in the future at a certain price. And uh, and just I'll just wait. I'll want my money. I want my gold. Give me gold, 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 gold. And to force the bank to uh, get gold and give me gold. Because they don't have any gold, right? I mean, they just wrote a piece of paper. So I could do that, but uh, that ha and that would cause a default by the bank and it could rip the system apart. Incidentally, that's been ha happened in the past. And when that happens, the bank just pays you money, not gold. It pays you the equivalent amount of money on the day. And, uh, and, and that's good. They're honorable people in that sense. Uh, but not, not gold. So that's not a good way to force, to break the system, to force the payment of gold. No, well, that doesn't work. Uh, but there is another way, and that is GameStop. GameStop. And uh, if you could uh, force a short squeeze on the uh, banks when they're pushing downward, okay, they, and uh, force the price up, uh, you could bankrupt the banks. But let me say that the you're really going against the banks and the Fed at that point because the Fed didn't just uh, pile uh, uh, bucket loads of money into the banks, and it's hard to fight the Fed and uh, and the banks. So that's a hard hard one to fight too. So I don't see any good way that this is going to stop un involuntarily. I think voluntarily, some point the uh, banks may think that it's in their not in their good interest to continue manipulating the market as much as they are. But uh, so be it. Those are th my thoughts for you. Uh, maybe they'll trigger some thoughts for you. If you have any thoughts of your own, pass them back to me. I'd be happy to send them out to everyone. That's it for uh, segment three. On to segment four. Let's talk about bad data. And on to segment number four. Now, in this segment, I'm going to refer back to the uh, last week's data is broken, data that we depend on, that we count on, that we use for our day-to-day -day life. 
And in particular, I'm going to look at the word, word inflation. It's the data around inflation. I'm going to dig into that and uh, just talk about it. Well, inflation we measure with the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. The CPI is the, the thing. And what is the largest component of the CPI? It's defined as a bunch of, you add up all the little pieces and that equals the uh, CPI. The piece, this is the largest, is housing in the CPI. And that is 42.4% of the CPI is determined by any increase in price in the housing. So, uh, and uh, how, how is that determined? Well, it's, it's an average cost increase of an average person. That means uh, whether you're a renter or you have a home with a mortgage or you have a home without a mortgage, it doesn't matter. They take a big smeary average of all of that and see if it increased or not. And, uh, and uh, but there's a problem here, isn't there? I mean, the, let's just think about this problem for a second. The CPI, it's the Consumer Price Index, uh, is kind of trying to determine if something is consumed. But if you're in a house, the house is not consumed at all. No, the house is not consumed. What is consumed is the shelter that you used in that house. That is consumed and the intellectuals out there will know that uh, you can consume the shelter and that's good. And so actually um, they are measuring the, that consumption of the price of the shelter. And uh, so, so how is the price of housing determined? It's done by a phone survey every month. A phone survey, yes. They call someone up and uh, they say they're talking to a renter. They say, what is your rent? And the uh, renter tells them his rent. So let's assume that they, say this, they speak the truth. Well, that, that's the rent. Okay, and that's probably a good number. Okay. Then they call someone and who owns a house and they say, uh, they don't say anything about rent, do they? Because you own the house. What they say is, if you uh, left your house and you were going to rent it out, what would you charge for rent? Now, if that gets a little squishy in your mind, how would you answer that question? It's rather subjective in my mind. You see, how the house, the value of the house is not used at all. Just what would it rent for? Uh, now, if you're going to give an estimate of the rent for your house, of your home that you own, um, would you include uh, whether you had a mortgage or not in your estimate of what the rent might be? I think that, that would play a part. Uh, and what if the rent is a, uh, the mortgage that you have is a variable rate? Oh, that complicates it. What if it might go up in the future? Oh, and... Uh, what about the property taxes you pay? Does that play into the rent you would charge or the uh, income taxes you would be charged on the rent? That gets a little more complicated. And, and do you have time to think of all those things when you're being asked a, a survey on the phone? Uh, perhaps not. Uh, and also, we know for a fact that the actual rent uh, which is the cost of the rent, is not the price that people would pay for the rent. See, what that's determined by supply and demand, not by someone thinking about answering a survey by the CPI folks. So, um, does that give you food for thought about how subjective, possibly, 
this uh, number is that's coming out, which is the biggest contributor to the CPI. So who actually uses the CPI? Or its uh, ugly sister, the PCE. Uh, and that is, and who makes major decisions based on that index? The answer is the Fed. And the Fed has a direct impact on you. You know that. So that should be kind of scary that the Fed is using this number. And what if it's not a perfect number? I mean, we're I'm kind of throwing aspersions on the validity of this number that they do with a telephone survey. I'm going to give you some information, additional information. This is the food for thought part of this uh, discussion. Uh, this is an aside about CPI, or it's like with sister PCEs. Actually, did you know that the uh, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, actually tracked the price, house of prices, uh, house prices until the year 2000. So if you plotted the average price of a house or the median price of a house and what the CPI was doing, they were laid right on top of one another very nicely. They were correlated. <clears throat> yes. And uh, <clears throat> after the year 2000, uh, if you remember, uh, house prices took off, right? Because interest rates were so low. And, uh, <clears throat> and the solution to that housing problem was that uh, interest rates were sent down to zero. We know that, and they kind of stayed there. They went up and come back down again. Well, since that period, do you know the CPI has, the component has gone up about 2%, but the house prices have gone up 10%. So the, the housing and CPI are no longer correlated. They are uncorrelated, and housing is much more expensive than the CPI has indicated in the past. That's kind of an interesting little tidbit. Fact, that's a fact. Okay, um, what, um, what would have happened if uh, it had been correlated, the Fed had been, if the uh, housing price was in the CPI rather than a, this phone survey and rental prices, what if they had been using house prices? Well, then probably the Fed would have raised interest rates and the housing bubble would not have happened. There's a big what if. Uh, and uh, because that's the kind of action they would have taken because interest and with a 10% increase in the house prices, CPI would have been soaring and they said, oh, we've got to stop that. We'll raise rates. That's what the Fed would have done, I believe. Um, let's talk about the future. What about from now into the future? Well, we're anticipating a higher CPI. The Fed wants a higher CPI. They want inflation to go up. They want it more than 2%. Say it gets to 3%. It's going to go up. Uh, well, the, inf the one thing that we can pretty well guarantee now, and it's being anticipated right now, as we can prove, is that a higher inflation rate, a higher CPI, in the future will drive bond prices, so the demand for interest rate, higher. And that's happening right now. So uh, what happens when you have bad data? Uh, does it create bad decisions? And could it create them in the future, which is the whole purpose of this discussion for you to think about? That's it for segment number four. On to segment five. And now for segment five, the six precursors that might cause a uh, market crash. The first 
and the most fun one is the 10-year Treasury bond. As I stated before, the 10-year uh, ended the week at 1.635. If you remember, the previous week was 1.554, so it's about 8 tenths of a percent higher, a significant amount higher. But what I found fascinating was the actual path. Now, oh, incidentally, why, why would this be a precursor? Well, it's because with growing interest rates, the Fed can change its policy. If the Fed changed its policy overnight and said, we're going to uh, raise interest rates, for example, because the interest rates are going up naturally with the market, and the market is stronger than any other force, then uh, the uh, stock market would crash, most definitely. So, so anyway, the, uh, what happened this last week? <clears throat> we started the week off, the end of the previous week, 1.554%. The interest rates actually fell, went down to about 1.5%, and it came back up 1.55. And then on Friday, the last day of the week, it jumped up to the 1.635. It told me that the interest rate was much more volatile. I consider that more dangerous that was going on uh, for what it's worth. But the point is, this is an inexorable push forward for higher interest rates for the 10-year bond that people are demanding and is happening. Now, there is some explanation out there that people say, well, the, uh, the, uh, the actual market, the actual economy is stronger and therefore higher interest rates are called for and there's truth behind that, but there's also truth that it's higher and the Fed does not want it higher. Okay, the second precursor, high yield bonds. It's uh, shown that this falls off before a market crash. It went to uh, the actual measure of it, the value. You see the value falling down. It's uh, 8.99 last week, 8.98 this week. Slight decrease, not a major change. Um, I'm watching it. I suspect in a perfect world, uh, if there was going to be a crack in the stock market, that this particular one would fall dramatically the week before the stock market. Uh the U.S. dollar went sideways this last week. Uh, there was pressure in the previous week to uh, for a stronger dollar, which was showed up last week. Uh, but this, or the week before last, but last week it went. The dollar went sideways. I guess the dollar can only go up so much in today's market. What we're expecting in the dollar is a uh, a fall off in the dollar, which would cause the inflationary, and. Uh, and that would cause all prices to go up and eventually break the bank. Okay, uh, the fourth precursor, CPI. We don't have the new number yet. We'll wait for it. Um, a lot of speculation I've read on the CPI coming out, and it will be a big jump for February when it's announced. So let's hope it's uh, interesting. The Fed, uh, any Fed policy changes? No, they've doubled down and said there's no changes. So the Fed is very consistent, rock solid in their policy statements. No change there. And so a Fed policy change definitely has the opportunity of cracking the market. It's actually, it's a Fed policy change in conjunction with the interest rate rise that we see in the first 10-year note that causes the stock market to crack. And the sixth and last one, or any bluebird, any event that happens out there that could uh, just caused the world to fall apart, and the answer is nothing last week. It was a very uh, mild week, as uh, we say in the economics. 
field. And that's it for this week. I hope everyone has a fabulous week this coming week. If the weather's going to be even better here in the south of France. I'll report on it again because I love this nice weather. It's almost time to hit the sea. People are wearing lighter clothes on the street. No big heavy jackets. That's kind of nice to see. People are going to look like people rather than bubbles. Be talking to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscription button. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor and not a financial advisor. Nothing should be construed as advice or solicitation to make a trade in any market. And I disclaim any responsibility for any negative effect of decisions made by the listeners. Thank <music> you.